We're here. We've come to the end of the book of Genesis. It's been a long journey. It's been a good journey, but it's been a long journey. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot through our study in the book of Genesis. I hope you have as well. But more than learning more and more information, I hope that our study in the book of Genesis has caused you to become more devoted to God and more in love with Jesus. As I said, we've come to the end of the book of Genesis, but as we come to the end of the book of Genesis, I want to remind you that the book of Genesis is a book about beginnings. It's a book about first things. The first book of the Bible and the first words of this first book of the Bible are in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout our study in the book of Genesis, we've seen many first things that are also part of our lives as well. We've seen story of creation. We've seen and heard and talked about familial relationships, about marriages, about births, about prayer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The book of Genesis starts with the story of creation. But it ends very differently. It starts with those majestic words, in the beginning, but it ends with rather unsettling words. Joseph was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period. Those are the last words of the book of Genesis. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period, end of story. Now, if I were writing a book, I think I may have ended the book differently. This doesn't make a very good movie. Genesis begins with life and ends with death. Death. Death is something that most of us seek to avoid at all costs. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. We try to avoid death and dying at all cost. This past week, I came across a quote from the 20th, 20th century, early 20th century novelist, Somerset Maugham. He wrote, death is a very dull, dreary affair. And my advice to you is to have nothing whatsoever to do with it. Now that may be good advice, but that advice is completely unrealistic. We all have to face death. Death is a reality of life. Unless Jesus returns, all of us, we will all die. Every one of you will die. I came across this other quote. This is from the playwright George Bernard Shaw. He wrote, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Completely accurate. Interestingly, the writer of Hebrews says the same things. He writes, it's appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment. As much as each one of us 
would like to avoid death and dying at all costs. We can't. We try and we try until we can't. About a month ago, my dad passed away. He died. I had shared with you earlier this summer about the struggles he was going through physically and mentally about his deterioration and the journey that he was on and the difficult journey that not only he was on, but that my family and myself were walking. A difficult journey facing death. And although we knew his death was approaching, death never comes at a convenient time. It never comes when you expect it. And even if you start to think it's coming or you think you're starting to expect it, when it actually happens, it still comes as a shock. It still comes as a surprise. There may be some of you who have recently experienced a death of a loved one. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that pain, you know that hurt, and you know that desire to run from death and dying to flee. There may be some of you here this morning who this past week received a really bad diagnosis. Or maybe your doctor told you there's nothing more they can do. We try to avoid death and dying at all cost until we can't. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. It's the last chapter in the book of Genesis. It's found on page 43 in the Bible that the church provides. If you have not brought a Bible with you today, please grab the Bible out of the rack in front of you and follow along, page 43. We all know that death itself is ultimately out of our control and none of us like things that are out of our control. But our attitude towards death is something that we can control. And I would like to suggest that there are few decisions in life that are more important than how we deal with death. Few decisions that are more important than our response to death. And I have been thinking a lot about death lately. And I do not believe that it is a coincidence that I am preaching this sermon from this text on this day. In fact, it was four months ago that Jim came to me and said, hey, I messed up the schedule. And I was supposed to preach on August 7th and he was supposed to preach today on August 21. And four months ago, we switched the date. And then a few weeks ago, there was a power outage that made sure that I was the one that was going to be preaching this sermon today. And to tell you that I'm excited to be up here to preach this sermon, last week would have been a lie. But this week, I am. Because God had a message for me this week, and he has a message for you today. This chapter, chapter 50, 
is a chapter in the Bible that has, I believe, more to say on death than any other chapter in the Bible. This morning, we're going to look at Jacob's and Joseph's death and their response to death as the end of their life approaches. Genesis chapter 50. Actually, let's begin reading in Genesis 49, verse 29. Then he, that's Jacob, then Jacob gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Memre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. And in chapter 50, verse 1, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. It's very clear that the subject of death is the subject of this passage. If we were to continue to read on in chapter 50, we would read of Jacob's burial preparations and the burial itself. Jacob had been preparing himself for death. In the previous chapters, he had addressed his sons and he had blessed them. And here we read that he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Jacob died. But I want you to notice, there's something very interesting about Jacob's instructions. He references a particular cave in a particular place that was bought from a particular person. This location is in the land that God promised his grandfather Abraham, the land that the Israelites refer to as the promised land, the land that at this period of time, the general world refers to as Canaan. But this is a very specific, very particular place. Look at verse 29. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. Very particular instructions. And this isn't the first time that Jacob asked to be buried in the promised land. Turn back to Genesis 47. Turn back to Genesis 47 and look at verse 28. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel, that's Jacob, to die... He called for his son Joseph and he said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh, awkward, and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, Joseph said. Swear to me, Jacob said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Clearly, this is no small issue 
to Jacob. He does not want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried in the promised land. So what ends up happening? Turn back, chapter 50, verse 12. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. You think we're getting the point here? After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Jacob's sons returned him to the promised land and buried him there. This is a very specific fulfillment of a very specific request. Why? Why are these instructions? Why was this so important to Jacob? There is no doubt where he wanted to be buried. I think about this. Wouldn't it have been better to be buried in Egypt? Jacob could have been buried in a pyramid. He is Joseph's father. He is the prime minister's father. He could have had quite a monument. He could have been buried in a pyramid. But Jacob doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He doesn't want to be buried in a pyramid. So he gives these incredibly detailed, particular instructions to be buried in a specific place in the promised land. Why? The reason is, is that when God gave the promise to Abraham that he was going to provide a land, a very particular land to Abraham and his descendants, that was only part of the promise. That was only the piece of a completely full and whole promise. Yes, God was going to provide Abraham and his descendants a particular place, a promised land. But that was only part of the promise. The full promise is that God was one day going to provide salvation to people, to all people, through one who would overcome sin and death. Jacob understood that there was a promise for a particular land, but he also understood that there was one who was coming who was going to overcome sin and death. And when Jacob gives these very particular, specific instructions to be buried in this very specific place, in essence, he is saying, I believe. I believe in the promise that God is going to provide to Abraham, Isaac, and to me this promised land. But even more than that, he's saying, I have faith. I have faith that God is going to provide one who is going to overcome sin and death. Jacob wanting to be buried in the promised land is a demonstration of his faith in God and God's full promise. Look what, how the writer of Hebrews says this. The writer of Hebrews, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. All these people, in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews identifies people of faith from the Old Testament, and this includes Jacob. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who 
say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. What kind of country? a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Jacob, by wanting to be buried in the promised land, demonstrated demonstrated his faith. He believed that there was a place, that there was a heavenly city to come. Jacob, in the depth of his being, believed that there was one who was coming who was going to overcome sin and death. Jacob, at the end of his life, when death is approaching, demonstrates his faith in the promise of God. I'd like to show you one other thing that happens in Jacob with his death. Look at Genesis 47, verse 31. Actually, the end of verse 30. I read this a bit earlier, but I want to go back to it again. Genesis 47, verse 31. End of 30. I will do as you say, Joseph said. Swear to me, Jacob said. Then Joseph swore to him in Israel, Jacob worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. This means that Jacob praised God as he was dying. It's interesting that this is exactly how the writer of Hebrews references Jacob later in Hebrews chapter 11, where he writes, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. As death approached, Jacob chose faith and he chose to worship. It's always good to believe in God and to worship him. But there's something extra special when death approaches and you decide that you are going to continue to have faith in God and you are going to continue to worship when death approaches to be able to say, God is good and God is faithful. He's been so good to me. As death approached Jacob, he chose faith and he chose worship. The final verses of Genesis record Joseph's death. At the age of 110 years old, 50 years after his father's death, after serving Pharaoh for 80 years, Joseph realized that his life on earth was coming to a close. So he gathers his family around them, around him to provide them with encouragement, to speak to them as death approaches. Genesis 50, verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, 
He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. At the end of his life, Joseph sought to comfort his family with the promises of God and the reality that someday they would be taken back to Canaan, back to this promised land. Now the burial, the burials of Jacob and Joseph are quite different, but each of them demonstrated faith in the promises of God. Jacob demonstrated his faith in the promise of God by believing that there was one who was someday going to come and overcome sin and death. And he believed in the promised land. Joseph believes that someday the people of Israel are going to be taken back to Canaan, are going to be taken to the promised land. And he also believes that there is one who is going to overcome sin and death. And I'd like you to notice something very specific about this paragraph, about this passage. There's two little words. Two little words in verse 24 that reveal Joseph's faith. And these are words that almost always reveal faith. Two words. But God. See them? Verse 24, underline them. But God. It's interesting, over 50 years before, Jacob from his deathbed had said almost the exact same thing to Joseph. Look at Genesis 48, Genesis 48, verse 21. This is what Jacob says. I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Now back to Genesis 50. Think about Joseph. He's laying there and he's still in Egypt. It was 50 years before that Jacob said to him, I'm about to die, but God is going to return you to the promised land. Joseph could have given up hope. Joseph could have thought to himself, my dad didn't know what he was talking about. I'm still here. I'm still in Egypt. But instead, Joseph demonstrates his faith and says to his brothers, but God, but God. Verse 24, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God, but God, those two little words are a demonstration of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Think about Jacob's life. Think about Joseph's life. Think about the pain and the hurt, the oppression and the injustice that each one of them at various times in their lives experienced. We have heard over and over. Think about Joseph. His brothers throw him into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He goes to jail unjustly because he stands up for righteousness. And at the end of his life, he says, but God. I know that there are some of you here this morning that have faced injustice, unfairness, maybe oppression. Maybe you had a loved one that has passed. Maybe you've had a loved one that has died. Maybe you are sick and you are dying. 
The demonstration of faith and the encouragement towards faith is but God. But God, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the injustice, in the midst of the oppression, but God, he is faithful and he is true. I remember it was about 14 years ago, my dad suffered an incredible financial setback. It was devastating to my father. It was an incredible financial loss. It was a lot of money. And my dad entered into a time of despair. But slowly what started to happen is you could see God through his spirit start to speak and intervene into my dad's life. And my dad's language started to change. And I remember being with him at numerous times where he would say, but God has been really good to us. But God has been faithful. But God has continued to provide. You see, but God means that you are not bound by the past. And you can look forward to the future, the promise that God has for you. But God. There's an interesting demonstration of faith that proof of faith that Joseph next engages. It's unusual instruction that I'd like to point out. He doesn't want to be buried in an Egyptian tomb either. He doesn't want to be buried in a pyramid. Look at verse 25. He asked his family to carry my bones up from this place. This is a demonstration of Joseph's faith in God. His bones were to be accessible enough that when Israel left Egypt for the promised land, his bones could go with them. God had promised a land, so Joseph says here, I need you to keep my bones close, and I need you to carry those bones up with you when you go to the promised land. It's exactly what happened. 400 years later, it's recorded in Exodus 13 that Moses carried Joseph's bones out of Egypt. They wandered with the people of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And then we're told that Joshua buried Joseph's bones in Shechem in the promised land. Joseph demonstrates his faith in God by wanting to be buried in the promised land. Think about this for a minute. The people of Israel would eventually become slaves in Egypt. And during all those years of slavery and oppression, Joseph's bones or his remains would have been right there with them. They would have been a testimony of Joseph's faith in God. And they would have been a testimony to the people of Israel that someday we are going to take these very bones, these very remains, and we are going to take them out of Egypt and with us into the promised land. In times of discouragement, in times of pain, the people of Israel could look at Joseph's bones and say, Joseph had faith in God. We too should have faith in God. Joseph too, as death approached, chose faith. Faith in God and faith in his promises. And although his family leaned on him for support, Joseph said, 
I'm about to die, but God. So what about us? We've seen two responses to death, Jacob and Joseph. They've determined that their death would be a testimony to faith in God. But honestly, is that it? Is that it for us? Is that the end of the book of Genesis? Two demonstrations of faith in God and two dead guys? I don't think that's the end of the book of Genesis for us because if that's the end of the book of Genesis, as I said earlier, that's a pretty bad ending to the book of Genesis. It's a pretty bad ending to a book, two demonstrations of faith and two dead guys, period. But do you understand? That's just it. This is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. Genesis chapter 50 is just the end of the book of Genesis. There are 65 more books in the Bible. The story continues. And the story is meant to encourage us that death is not the end. It's just the beginning. And we have seen foreshadowing of this throughout the book of Genesis. I'd like to show you, read for you, three verses that demonstrate this truth. Look first at this one. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Next verse. Then he, Isaac, breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Next verse. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people was gathered to his people, which was referenced in each of those three verses, is not just a euphemism for death. These men did not just think that these, their bones was going, were going to be placed next to the bones of their ancestors. They believed that there was something more coming after death. They believed that death was not the end, it was just the beginning. Later in the Bible, Jesus is quoted, is quoting God the Father. And look what Jesus says, quoting God the Father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus did not say, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, I was the God of Jacob. He says, I am, because Jesus knows that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are actually still living. Death is not the end, it's only the beginning. And then we go to the final chapters of the book, the final chapter of the final book of the Bible. Look what we read there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the whole holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. There will, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And in the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. My friends, my brothers and sisters, death is not the end. It is only the beginning. Did you see how Jacob and Joseph dealt with death? Jacob and Joseph didn't try to avoid death. They didn't try to push it off. They didn't try to stop thinking about it. They actually engaged with their families. They brought them near to talk about their death to give final instructions and final encouragements. They brought their family close because they weren't afraid to die. And my friends, they weren't afraid to die because ultimately in the depths of their being, they believed in God's promise that there was one day coming someone who was going to overcome sin and death. There was no fear because they had faith in God. And in and through that faith, they chose to worship God. They believed that there was one who was coming, who was going to overcome sin and death. That person is Jesus. Jesus himself says this. Look what Jesus himself says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus comes to a family that he was very close with. One of Jesus's best friends had passed away. Jesus arrives at the home of the family and one of the sisters comes up to him and says, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The sister responded that she believed. Do you? Do you believe 
that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that you will live even though you die? Do you believe that the one who lives believing in Jesus will never die? Do you believe? There is one who is coming, who has now come, who has overcome sin and death. He has claimed specifically that he is the resurrection and the life and that if you believe, you will actually never die. You will live. My friends, death is not the end. It is the beginning for those who believe in Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life. As I close, I have one question for you. Are you ready to die? Not the person sitting next to you not your neighbor, not your son or your daughter, not your mom or your dad, are you ready to die? And this is not just for those of you who are 80 years old. You can be here and you can be 10 years old and listening to me this morning. I wanna know, are you ready to die? And I'm scared, sorry if this is scary for some of you, but I'm gonna go back, every single one of us in this room, unless Jesus returns, is going to die. Are you ready to die? I told you my, my dad passed away a month or so ago, and I have been incredibly sad. But you know what? I know he was ready to die. I know he believed that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. I know that he knew that by believing in Jesus Christ, he would actually never die. And I know that he lived his life believing in Jesus Christ. I know that my dad asked for the forgiveness of his sins and knew that Jesus, through his death on the cross, forgave my dad of all his sins. I know that Jesus has prepared a home for my dad so I do not grieve as those who do not have any hope. I grieve knowing, having the peace that my dad was ready to die. Are you ready to die? Because if you're ready to die, death is not the beginning is not the end. It is actually the beginning of life. Because when you reconcile that death is not the end, it's only the beginning, it gives you the opportunity to live life the way that life is supposed to be lived. Fully and completely for Jesus Christ. There is one who has come, who has overcome sin and death. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and he is the life.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.